Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter.com at Braden Gall. I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. And I'm Emma Lingen, and you can follow me on Twitter at Emma underscore Lingen and at the Hockey Writers. When you introduce yourself on the show, does that mean it's a, like you're officially a part of the show? Is that what we're is that what we're doing? I was kind of wondering <laughs> that. Like, I didn't know. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> I, I, Mike, it, it's just you and I voting. So, what do you think? What do you think? All in favor? <laughs> Yay. Yes, yeah, no. I'm hitting my imaginary gavel. I was like, All no right, pressure. <laughs> welcome to the show, Emma Lingen. Uh, good to have you, of course. Thank uh, you. Your third appearance, but now on the show. Uh, for as long as, as long as you want to hang out, we'll just, we'll just keep you around for as long as you want to hang out. So, um, all right, lots of stuff to do on the show today. Uh, the Preds, after last week's episode, which was largely negative about two really awful performances against the Ducks and the Flames, they do come back and beat Dallas yet again with a six spot. That's 10 goals against Dallas on the road, both on the road, both with Kevin Lincoln in, uh, both, uh, with 10 combined goals. Then they beat the Islanders. And then they play Vegas on Monday night. We're going to spend a lot more time. If you guys have any positive thoughts about the two wins, we can get to that. But we're going to spend a lot of time looking at that Vegas game and sort of what that Vegas game means for the team overall, the roster overall, the coaching staff overall, and sort of where does it what does it tell us about where this team is? Uh, We're going to get into Nashville Hockey Now has sort of three big questions at the halfway mark looking forward into the second half. We've got some television stuff to get to as well because Amazon has purchased all of the RSNs, Bally Sports, uh, and ESPN had a a little kerfuffle with NHL fans and and hockey as well. Uh, So we've got a lot of stuff to do today on the show, and I have one question to start the show with that you guys are not prepared for intentionally, and I'm going to ask you guys on the fly uh, to get things started and hopefully... Unlike last week, we start with the positivity and then we work our way through what the team needs to do to get better. But before we do, obviously no one went this week (laughs) because we hope everyone's safe and warm and being careful out there. Uh, But the gold standard, Michael Gallagher, is brought to you by Jasper's place I've been three times. (laughs) We got to get Emma there. Honestly, I thought that was the question. I thought that was going to be the question that we weren't prepared for was asking if we had been to Jasper's, but I was going to counter with, um, have you seen the weather outside? So I'm glad you started with that. You're in a very walkable neighborhood, uh, like me, Emma, we could, we could, we could get there. You could walk to Jasper's, I think, but if you need to drive, the parking is free. Uh, you never pay for parking at Jasper's, uh, of course, proud sponsors of your Nashville predators and a great place to watch games, even in bad weather. So make sure um, make sure you swing by uh, over there at Jasper's. Great menu, game room, best air hockey table in the city. I don't think that's I don't think that's hyperbole. I think it is truly the best air hockey table in the city. They got a shuffleboard table that's super professional, uh, life size Jenga, all kinds of great stuff. Great happy hours, and I I would say the patio is great. You can bring your dog. Since we talked about dogs last week, but uh, my dog literally would not walk off the the cleared sidewalk this morning. Like he loves the snow and he wouldn't even go into the snow to go do what he needs to do out there. He just stood on the sidewalk and I was like, dude, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I did one of those DNA tests for my dog and it said she was part husky. And I am calling complete bullshit on that because uh, she started hopping on three legs because her paws got too cold. So I'm I'm calling BS on the on the husky thing. How are the how are the pups doing, uh, Gallagher, up there in Hendersonville? 
Well, since our roads aren't cleared and we're snowed in, one of them is is loving it. He's we we joke that he's part polar bear, uh, the Great Pyrenees, of course, who would go outside and roll in the snow for hours. And then Henry runs outside, wrestles with Lionel for about two minutes and then winds and come back in. He gets really cold really easily. Lionel, by the way, is a fantastic name for a dog. Like it is. And, and I, if and you, I if say you this, saw him, you would you would know it fits him. And I say this as a dog owner whose dog's name is also Henry. <laughs> and it's I like, funny because when we I first like let him out. Better. When we first let him out, Henry had to have a sweater on and Lionel was fine. Uh, all right. All right. Okay. Here's my question. Go to Jasper's, by the way, everybody. Here's my question for you guys. They, the Predators are, we're past the halfway mark. They are currently at time of taping in, the, in a playoff spot. They are five games over 500. They are on pace to hit the over on basically every gambling mark from the preseason. They obviously are a flawed team, and we're going to discuss that based on the Vegas game, based on goaltending, based on defense, all the things we've talked about the last few episodes. What what should Preds fans feel right now at this stage of year one of Andrew Brunette with this roster and what they've accomplished or not accomplished, your opinion, uh, Preds fans should feel blank that they are 24-19-1 and one past the halfway mark and in a playoff spot. Fill in the blank. Um, I'm gonna go with confused. I I don't know. I I think <laughs> I think a lot of people were finally on board with embracing the rebuild with everything that happened over the summer and with what Barry Trotz was selling the fans, saying it's gonna be a process. I want to let the prospects marinate before I call them up. And I think a lot of the fan base really kind of embraced sucking for a year or two, getting some good draft picks, and then really making a run at the playoffs in 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 two or three years. And I think now that they're overachieving they're in a playoff spot right now they've if things the rest of the season plays out the way the for the first half did it, there's a very good chance they could be a playoff team um i think it's confusing because i think you have the, the the part of the fan base that was ready to watch losing hockey but it'd still be kind of exciting and now they're like oh do we get our hopes up do we do we sit here and and, and wish for playoff hockey and stuff like that because we know this team will break you the break their fans hearts so I think I think confusion is probably what I would go with because you're you're a playoff team. You might you may or may not be a playoff team at the end of the year, and I think it just kind of depends on 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 uh, really. I guess just are you having fun watching watching what's on the ice? I guess that's more important than the wins and losses. Yeah, I would say kind of related to that. I would say maybe fans should be patient right now uh, with with the way things are are going, and that doesn't necessarily mean. Be patient because better things are coming or or worse things are coming. I think it's just kind of a reminder that, yes, we're halfway through the season now, the first season under Trotz and Brunette. But, I mean, it's still a relatively very small sample size. So I think kind of like Michael said, some fans were ready to just completely embrace the suck and just be bad. And But I think realistically, Barry Trotz was never going to going to be okay with doing that. So I think maybe patient, you know, happy that things are maybe better at this point than anyone expected at the beginning of the season, but uh also understanding that there is no way this team was going to turn into a contender overnight. So and and that's for any team. No one can do that. So I think yeah, I would go with patience. I like both those answers cuz I kind of got to my answer through both of those answers. <laughs> like I started confused and then I was like, no, I need to take a deep breath. And that's the patience part, right? Emma? And I, I think 
ultimately ecstatic is the is the word like truly and then we all the three of us have like media brain and so we have to be like no no wait a second don't be ecstatic but honestly if you told me this team was in a playoff spot beyond the halfway mark of the season into the 2024 calendar year and five games over 500 with a, a line that is one of the top 10 scoring lines in the nhl i i, I think fans would have been like hell yes sign me up for that so my first reaction was ecstatic, but then I was confused. <laughs> and then I landed on patience. So really my answer is I I think they should be at ease with this whole thing. Like just enjoy the good. Know that you're clearly not ready yet, which is going to be our conversation about the Vegas game. But enjoy the fact that you're seeing a team that is more entertaining, that is winning games occasionally, that is above 500 and competing for a playoff spot. To me, it's it's about removing the stress of the pressure of a team that's supposed to win. If that makes sense. I, I don't know. So I, I think Preds should be at ease with where they are and kind of take it. I don't know, in a more relaxed fashion. And I think that's confusion and patience kind of mixed into expectation. Maybe. I, I don't know if that makes sense. You are asking, it. you're asking Preds fans to be relaxed though, which I think is a, a bit of a tall order, but I, I get where, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> I wanted to, part of me is we're, we're going to have another long conversation about where they're not good enough to win a championship. And that's off the heels of last week's episode where we probably saw the two worst performances at home. And there's been a bunch of other bat. We didn't even mention this last week, but the other game, the, the Edmonton game and the John Hines game, like there's a lot of other bad stuff that's happened at Bridgestone Arena this year. But I also think we should take a step back and say, look, this is a year one of a GM, year one of a head coach, and with a lot of young talent and no expectations. And they are in a playoff spot, five games over 500 midway through January. I, I, th I think you can say to yourself, oh, well, that's better than I thought. <laughs> and just try to enjoy it and and sort of be, again, confused, patient, and at ease with what's going on. So I just wanted to get y'all's perspective on that before we got into the 4-1 the loss to Vegas on the road, where you see a team that is clearly one of the best in the NHL without one of its best players, mind you, uh, and a Preds team that didn't necessarily play a terrible game, but is just clearly not close. So, uh, Emma, I'll start with you. What did you see on on Monday night against Vegas in a 4-1 in a loss on the road to a cup champion? Like, what did you see? when you watch that, that game and how it unfolded. So I think this is probably how I landed on my patience answer from before, because like you said, it really, it wasn't a bad showing by the Preds. They did a lot of things, right? I mean, they outshot the golden Knights. They outchanced them. They had 48 hits, I think 12 by Jeremy Lazan, which is insane. Um, but you know, you see that and you think, okay, that's all good. But then you see them compared to, Vegas, who obviously reigning Stanley Cup champion, yes, they are without their top scorer right now in Jack Eichel, but they are easily one of the most defensively sound teams in the league right now. And I think that was really on display in that game because you saw, like I said, the the Preds were shooting. They were they had chances. They were making efforts, and they you know they were trying to generate offense in a lot of different ways. I mean, they were trying to convert in the offensive zone, you know, stretch passes, um, you know, dump-ins, carry-ins, really they were trying everything. So it wasn't a lack of effort, I don't think, on the Preds' part, but it was just, 
it was really hard to kind of to generate real quality chances against a team like Vegas. And I think, you know, one thing that we've talked about before is how the Preds are really kind of a one line team right now. And they really don't have any consistent scoring beyond that top line of Forsberg, O'Reilly and Nyquist. And so when that line is completely neutralized, like they were against Vegas, then you really don't have anything else going for you. Now, that's not to say that, again, the young guys, the the depth forwards didn't do anything right. I think it's just you can't rely on those young guys, you know, the Luke Evangelistas, the Tommy Novaks, the Phil Tomasinos, who all had a very good game against Vegas, I thought. Right. You can't rely on them to carry an offense and to generate those quality chances against a team like that. Like I said, that's one of the most defensively sound teams in the league. I think, you know, you see from the young guys, they had good hustle. They had good effort. They were trying to get to the net, but they really, you could see the youth and the relative inexperience in, in kind of their finishes. And they, they, they need to clean up a lot of stuff. And, and I think that will come with time. It'll come with time. It'll come with talent. I think, you know, not to say that those young guys aren't talented players, but they're just young and they, you know, they'll, we can't all be Connor Bedard, you know, they're, they're not going to be at that level right away. And so it'll come, it'll come with time. And, and I think that that's, you know, that's, that's the Nashville side of it. I think if you look at the Vegas side of it, if we're talking about a gap in, you know, where Nashville is and where Vegas is, uh, Vegas knows how to protect a two goal lead, which, uh, if, if we look back to earlier in this season, Nashville has not been able to do more than a few times. So I think, and I mean, we can get into that more and I'll shut up in a second so Michael can talk, but I, I think that, you know, there's, you see a lot of differences between, you know, where the Preds are right now and where Vegas is right now. Yeah, I think something else that kind of stuck out in that game, too, is the Predators are really, really, really good at letting one player just absolutely tee off and destroy them. And that player happened to be Mark Stone, who had a hat trick. And it's just how many times have we talked about it where the Predators, whether it's 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 a, a rookie or someone who hasn't scored their first goal, scoring their first goal against the team or a journeyman who just happens to be claimed on waivers, comes in and has a two or three goal game against them like they're really good at letting one player just have have like their best game of the season against them and they they did that with stone and really that was that was the difference because if you take away mark stone's goals it, it was a one one game um and I, I do think Tema's point like evangelista had a really good game and i think that i think that was a good example and i think angel burnett tried to hint to this in, in in post game that was a good example of like the results kind of sucked but it wasn't really a bad effort and if you're going to take anything positive away from it, evangelista had a goal in three shots Forsberg had five shots. I mean, Novak had four shots. Tomasino and Trenton each with three shots. Like the, the effort was there. The offense could have been there if they just could have cashed in a few more chances. And I think it's just it's just one of those unfortunate things where like it's not a bad effort. The other team was just better. And I think that it was a good measuring stick game. Like we talked about, Vegas is probably one of the top elite teams in the league. And I think that was that was a good showing of of how. If, if Vegas is up here and Vegas is kind of like the benchmark, it shows where Nashville is relative to teams like that. They can they can compete with teams like that. They can hold their own with teams like that. But as we saw in the third period, they just ran out of steam. So 
that shows where where the predators are in relation to some of the top teams they can hold their own with them for about a period and a half two periods but you get to that third period and they're just running out of gas and i think that's that's the big thing to to fix we've talked about how bad their third periods have been this year that that in itself is an issue but also we talked about this earlier a couple podcasts ago the way that Andrew Burnett wants to play with all this pressure and puck possession and stuff, it's it's they're 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 relentless out there. Like you're going to have issues with fatigue and exhaustion when you get to the third period. They need to they need to figure out how to not be completely drained by the time they get to the third period because that's where a lot of these teams are beating them. This season for me was all about collecting data, uh, answering questions, right? Like so and so is ready for X role, whether that's Yuso Parson and Luke Evangelista. Tommy Novak, Cody Glass, you know, we're going to talk about the, some of the admirals in the pipeline in a second, but this was all about collecting data this year. Like learn, learn what you got, learn what you're good at. And hockey is so hard to do that on a night in night out basis. I think, I don't know how you guys feel, but like sometimes you show up and the goaltender just doesn't have it or the other goaltender just does something spectacular. And, and even though you play a great game and the other team didn't play a good game, they won because their goaltender did some crazy shit. Like some, some nights don't feel like the data is accurate. Does that make sense? Like, like yeah. there's, there's games where you just get puck luck and there's games where you don't, and you win some that you have terrible puck luck and you lose some that you have great puck. Luck. Like, it's just, it, it, there's so much, um, I don't know what the right word is like idiosyncrasy idiosyncrasies in the game itself from a night in night out basis. But Monday night felt like good on good, like a good version of Vegas playing a good version of the Preds. It didn't feel like. They just came out and like completely forgot how to play defense in the first period against Calgary or Anaheim. It didn't feel like, you know, it was a, it, like, does that make sense? Like it felt like I got accurate data on what a good version of the Preds look like and what a good version of a cup championship caliber team looks like. And when put together, what did we get? Well, we got a four, one game that maybe was a little closer than the score indicated, but maybe it wasn't. And so I, to me, that's the kind of night where like, I want the accurate data. And I think we got that on Monday night. And I think it shows you where this team needs to continue growing, which is they, the, the, I don't know where you guys fall on this. Cause we'll talk about goaltending, but like it is more, it's gotta be more than one line. It's gotta be more than the top line. The top line is uh, Michael and I were talking about this. You Mike, you can give me the stats if you want, but basically it's a top 10 scoring line in the NHL, O'Reilly, Forsberg and Nyquist. Uh, but that they, they are, but that that's 35% of the scoring, which is, means that they're, it's great that they have a great top line, but they are incredibly top line dependent. And so the rest of the team has to then fill in the gaps. And that's where you see teams like Vegas, where they can go two, three, four lines deep. Yeah. And, and Trotz even admitted that on the radio last week. He said that he was watching games recently and, and O'Reilly and Nyquist, they just look exhausted. And he was like, it's good that we could depend on a small group of people to produce for us on a regular basis. He was also, but he was also like, that's not, sustainable for the rest of the season and and to his point i mean yes having a, a top line like forsberg o'reilly and nyquist is, is is an excellent ace card to play but also you don't want to overplay it because where are the rest of your goals coming from and we were talking about it on money puck so the forsberg o'reilly nyquist line they rank out of out of all lines that have played 200 or more minutes they rank six in goals four and then goals percentage they are 12th so they're keeping up with some of the top lines and they're producing like that. But the, I think the thing with like a team like Dallas with Mason Marchman and Sagan and Duchesne, you look at that line, they're producing just as much, if not more than the Forsberg Riley line are, but Dallas has two or three other lines that they can roll out there that can score goals for them. Nashville doesn't really have that. And 
we're seeing Luke Evangelista score a couple goals and, and some other guys do that too. But Colton Sissons has kind of cooled off a little bit. Tommy Novak, I don't know if he's even scored a goal since he came back from his injury. So the guys that were producing that secondary scoring at the beginning of the year, they haven't really been showing up lately. So I think that's something that Trotz really needs to address. And he's even talked about it. And he's, he did a story on, on Nashville Hockey Now last week where he talked about maybe you call up an Igor Afanasiev or a Joachim Kemmel or a Fedor Svechkov for a couple of games. And, and I thought it was interesting that he said that he learned every stop he went after he left Nashville that the best way to do it is to call up a prospect that is having a hot stretch in the AHL. You call them up, you have them for two, three, four games, and you send them back down. And you build up, you build off the energy that that player injects into the lineup. You give that player confidence and you send them back down. You're not ruining their confidence and sending them back down because they know it's only for a couple games. They get a feel for the NHL. They, they get to go back down feeling good about themselves. And it, it helps develop them and it helps inject some life into the team, which I thought was an interesting point that he made. Uh, Novak, by the way... Me- Sorry, I'm a Novak, by the way, has he scored against Dallas, and that is his first goal since coming back from IR. Sorry. Okay. I was going to say that kind of makes me wonder about the Denis Gurionov call up. I mean, he's obviously he's not a young guy. He's not necessarily a prospect. He's been around for a while, but he was having himself quite a time in the AHL right before he got called up against Dallas. And obviously, he's not waiver exempt. So I don't know that he's a guy that they would look to send back down anytime soon. But I think that was probably, I would imagine that was probably the the goal or the idea with like, let's inject some new life into this lineup and see if, if we can get the scoring going beyond that top line. And he's got one goal, but I, I don't know that we've really seen it yet. Yeah, I think with, with Gurionov, uh, Clay did a, a deep dive on this since he's already been placed on waivers this year, they have 10 games or 30 days and they can send him back down without him having to pass through waivers again. So he's played five games. So basically they have five more games to look at him and send him back down without having to expose him to waivers again. I, I don't think he gets sent back down. Honestly, I, th- I feel like they called him up and he's kind of taken over key for sure with spot in the lineup. That's how it feels. Uh, point out real quickly, Parson and also a younger player that we thought had a bigger role this year has got a couple of goals in the last few games. Unfortunately, both of those are empty netters, so um, not exactly you know driving hard to the net and beating a defenseman and building confidence. I do like the idea of calling up a guy on a hot streak, though. That seems pretty logical and pretty sound. You've got a person that is playing with a lot of confidence. You want to put that person in a situation to to have the best opportunity to succeed. Well, Having a ton of confidence stepping into an opportunity in the NHL is is, is the best way to do that. So give me Igor Afanasyev in this lineup right now. Like how he hasn't been called up yet, I don't know. He is he's killing it. And what I love about Afanasyev is two years ago, the Predators coaching staff told the Admirals coaching staff to basically like make him meaner, turn him into we want more defense out of him. And he is not that's normally not how he is. If you ever talk to the guy, he's one of like the happiest, like just one of just one of the like the dude that's never in a bad mood. And he embraced that role. He learned how to play with a little bit more of an edge and he rounded out his defensive game to where it's supposed to be. And once once he got that to where the coaching staff wanted, he's been free this year to do what he does best. And that's be a power forward. He leads the admirals in goals. He's scoring pretty much on a on a point per game basis right now. Like reward that guy. He's been so close to to cracking the roster the last two training camps. Give him a shot. If it's only three or four games, so be it. But I mean, what, what do you have to lose if you need some you need some depth scoring and you have a guy that's 6'3", 210 pounds? Like he's basically like, I don't want to say he's like James Neal, but he reminds me a lot of James Neal. He's that guy that's going to go to the front of the net. He's going to he's going to stand there. He's going to piss the goalie off. He's going to chip in some goals. 
And he's a big dude. Like he's a big body. It's hard to move him off the puck. Like I want to see Igor Afanasiev get rewarded. You know, p- people do not like playing against James Neal. That is for sure. That is for sure. Uh, you guys are already like ev- advanced into the next part of our conversation, which is how to how can this team c- address some of these issues? And a big part of them, three big questions on Nashville hockey now, which of course we'll get to. One of them is the Milwaukee pipeline. So I want to get to that in a second. You you both have, have sort of uh, sort of addressed that. I just think ultimately to wrap up the Vegas conversation here before we move on, go to Jasper's, of course, is that you need accurate pictures of what the team is. You you need accurate. Uh, clarity on what the team is. And I think that game, albeit in a loss and albeit a three goal loss, I think there was clarity gained by all parties involved, fans, players, coaches, general manager, scouting department. Like to me, clarity is as important as winning right now because you need to know exactly what you are and what you need and what you don't have going into next season and throughout the course of the second half of this season. So I know that sounds weird, like, oh, 4 1 loss where you played well but got your butt kicked and wasn't that close. How is that a positive? Well, to me, that's the positive I take out of that that game. I, I don't I know think, if that, again, that makes sense. I think that, like, and I hate coaching cliches, but the old cliche, like, you either win or you get better, that's the definition of that. Like, that's a game that's going to make the Predators better because they they the result wasn't what you wanted, but you learned a lot about yourself that ultimately you're going to be able to build off of that and you're going to be able to fix some of the things that Vegas kind of exposed. All right, let's get to the three questions here moving forward. And then we've got some television stuff, some new ways potentially to watch your National Predators. We'll get to that uh, at the end of the show. But before we do, of course, the gold standard. Emma, you're up this time, is brought to you by... Jaspers. That's right. That's excellent. That was a lot of enthusiasm. I do appreciate the approach. Um, Jaspers. Now, if we could get everybody to Jaspers, we need to get a, a watch party going over there at Jaspers. they got great drink specials, great food. Free parking, maybe once the uh, ice melts. And and if you've got kids, go put some skates on them. Put them outside right now, right? Like <laughs> build a little pond, build a little, put some barriers up in your driveway. Get out there and show kids that like, hey, guess what? This is how everybody in the north and Canada learns how to play hockey. <laughs> it freezes. Send your kids out there. Uh, go to Jasper's, of course, free parking over on West End. So we'll, we'll see if we can get get together. And by the way. Uh, our fantasy league, Mike and I still at the bottom with all you listeners. Um, but Jeremy Lozon has been delivering in a big way with 12 hits on Monday. He is crushing the rest of the NHL and winning people in our league single-handedly some categories in fantasy hockey. So uh, there's an update. I, I am going to make a comeback, though. I'm actually paying attention and trying hard. So go to Jaspers, everybody. All right, let's get into some, some questions here. Uh, biggest questions about this team in the second half. So this was on Nashville Hockey Now, of course. Three big questions. Uh, Michael, your colleague, Clay Brewer, wrote this piece asking the three biggest questions heading in to the second half of the season that they need to get answered. And number one, the glaring and most important and biggest question we've talked a lot about, so we don't need to go into more detail, uh, but that is about goaltending and what happens with this goaltending situation, whether it's a trade of Kevin Lankinen calling up Askarov, who, uh, Michael, I think you've written about this, has been on an absolute heater in Milwaukee. Uh, what is this the number one issue here facing this team in the second half is figuring out their plan for the future. Does it need to be figured out or is it just because the deadline's coming up and, and they need to maybe make a decision on, on like an or or Soros even for that matter. Cause he, you guys talked about this. The team looks tired. You see Soros looks tired and he clay put that in his piece. Yeah. You see Soros needs a good week or two long vacation. Um, I don't think it's their most pressing need that they need to figure out right now. I think probably the number two thing on Clay's list probably needs to be figured out more. Um, 
But I do think it's something they, they do need to figure out. It's a time sensitive issue with the trade deadline coming up in a month and a half, roughly. And especially if Saros doesn't turn things around, because, you know, we talked about it last week. He's he's looked exhausted. He's giving up a lot of goals and a lot of games. And he's not playing like his normal Vezina caliber self. If if that does not turn around, then I think you have to have a serious talk about not not because he's not good. We all know Yushi Saros is an elite goaltender in the NHL. But does his skill set and the way he plays in goal, does that fit with the way that Andrew Burnett likes to run with his offense and his defense and the system that he likes to use? It's not saying that Saros is bad. It's just saying that he may not be a stylistically, he may not stylistically be a fit for, for what Andrew Burnett wants to do. So I think that's something that they do have to figure out going forward because then if that's the case and they they do come to the realization that, hey, maybe he can't play in this system or maybe it would be better if we trade him. Do you do you give Kevin Lincoln in a two or three year extension and make him the starter and call up a scar off to back him up? Do you sign another goalie and to someone next year in the offseason? Like there's a lot of questions that stem from this. But I think figuring out is UC Saros your goaltender for the next four or five, six years, however long of an extension you would possibly sign him to figuring that out and, and whether or not the bad results are now the new norm for him. Yeah, I I see that argument. I understand it. I still think that Barry Trotz is committed to UC Saros and he is committed to building that team from the crease out. And I think that, you know, that and he's talked about that multiple times about you're starting in a really good position if you have elite goaltending, which they do. And I think I'm more inclined to look at an entire body of work for UC Saros, not just this year. I think, you know, you talk about the system under Andrew Brunette and whether whether UC Saros is a fit for that. I think personally that it's more of an issue of the guys in front of him need to figure the system out. And then that's going to take some of the, the pressure off of him. Like you said, he looks tired. And yes, it, it's a bit of a learning curve this whole year. I don't think that you want to make a snap decision on something as important as who is your starting goaltender going to be, you know, for the future of your team after in the situation that they're in right now. So I'm I'm still team UC Saros. I as much as I love Kevin Lankinen, I am team keep UC Saros trade Kevin Lankinen just so you can get something back for him instead of letting him walk at the end of the year. Well, you, you I, I agree with that too. Like I, we have more of a body of work of Saros being good than we have of him being bad. And I, and I think at some point you just, you have to let the track record speak for itself. And we, we know that Saros can be an elite goalie. He's played an elite level for the last four or five years. And, and I, I think to Emma's point too, I, I feel like the issue is more, we talk about him being tired. Well, that's because he's taking in, a, he's facing a lot more shots and there's a lot more pressure in front of him. That's because of the way the defense is playing in front of him, not so much as, as what he's doing. I think figure out the defense and then the goaltending will work itself out. And, and to, to Clay's point in the story too, he said the way to fix this going forward would be more of a 1A, 1B split where you're maybe not doing 50 50, but maybe it's 65 35 or something like that where you're giving Saros more rest and you're letting Kevin Lincoln and play a few more games than you normally would just because you don't want to get to the end of the year and to what happened two years ago where Saros was overplayed he was overworked and then he ended up getting injured I, I think you guys have convinced me to come around on on Saros and Askarov next year as 
because again, UC Saros, we, we talk about trading him, but like he's under contract next year. He still has a whole other year of con- contract. So that means they have time to, it's really not this deadline for him. It's next year's deadline that they can work out an extension for him before that. And there, there's certain time, time restrictions on when you can and can't work out the extension. But basically, you have to make a decision about his long-term future with the team, not by this deadline, but by next deadline or sometime maybe in the offseason. And having most of this year, if you trade Lankanen, and you have most of this year with Saros and Askarov, and then a big chunk of next year, the first half, let's call it, that's a full year of them being able to evaluate the two of them together and see can, how well do they work together? Is it a, is it the right pairing? Is it the right balance? Is it, hey, Saros is, maybe there's a, a whole other year of bad Saros, and that tells them they need to move on to Askarov. Maybe he bounces back, and that tells them, hey, this is a 1A, 1B thing. Maybe a scar off is so good that that changes their perception of sorrow. So like, I think having time to evaluate the two of them together, you guys have convinced me that Lincoln is the trade piece this year. Move, move on from him this year. He's done good enough to be valuable to somebody and you can acquire a piece and then call up your young star prospect and let's see what you got with the two of them together. I, I, I feel think like- it's also I think it's also important to point out how much cap space the Preds have. I mean, we talked about it more at the beginning of the season, but if you look at it now, I mean, I think they still have what, like 16 million, something like that. Why do you think that they haven't gone out and signed all these giant contracts? I think it's because they're waiting for maybe this summer, maybe early next year. I don't know, but I think that you want to try and save a big chunk of that cap space to sign Saros to a long-term deal before, you know, anyone can get any ideas about it. Speaking of cap space, Cody Glass, $5 million in two years. That was number two on the list here. Uh, I, I don't know if I agree with the, the story that like he is the, because it sounds like Michael, you think he's the number one st- thing that they need to figure out. I, I, I just don't know. I don't know how important he is or is not. I, I, I think, Fans are right to look at a very young but very talented player who has shown flashes and say, uh, we probably shouldn't give up on that guy. We've got PTSD uh, giving up on guys like that, and we shouldn't. Um, and he's making $5 million bucks over two years, $2.5 million a year, supposed to be your number two center this year. Nobody's really stepped up and filled that role. Novak was good early but got hurt. What what do we make of the, the future of Cody Glass, and how important is figuring it out to the future of the team? Yeah, I think that was more so my point, not, not not necessarily what's Cody Glass's future, but who is the number two center? Because it was very clear at the beginning of the year, even though Novak outplayed Glass in the preseason and in training camp, they started the year giving Cody Glass that number two center role. And he's been injured, been ineffective. He's been a healthy scratch the last couple of games and now the lineup all over the place. And Novak looked like he was that guy before his injury. And then he come back and he's only he's only got one goal. So it's it's tough. Colton Sissons can play that role. I don't think you want Colton Sissons as your number two center for an 82 game season. Um, but you you need to figure out who the two C is behind O'Reilly and Cody Glass. And, and look, Andrew Burnett's talked about it. Like the kids had a tough year, some bad breaks. He's only played in 17 games. He's got two points. He looked like he could be a top six center last year. 14 goals, 35 points in 72 games. He really stepped up towards the end of the year when Johansson got injured. But and I I hate that this is like a running joke that I kind of agree with. But the joke is like Cody Glass is made of glass. The the kid can't stay healthy. He's in and out of the lineup. And you just feel bad because Vegas gave up on him a little bit too early because of that. And you just you would hate to see Nashville do the same thing. 
But at the, at the same time, like this is a team that's young and they are trying to build their roster up. I don't know if they can sit here and, and afford to, you know, another year of Cody Glass at two and a half million or whatever he's making. I don't, I don't know if that's something that is enticing to Barry Trotz. When you have Novak, that's going to need a little bit of a raise at the end of this year. You have a guy like Fedor Svechkov in the AHL who could potentially be looking at some serious NHL minutes next year. I wouldn't rule out them going out in the offseason and acquiring another center. Barry Trotz was was trying like hell to to get Evgeny Kuznetsov from the Capitals um, right before free agency started. So, I mean, Barry Trotz is he's he's been honest and transparent, and he, his goal is to make this roster better. And if we take him at his word. The way Cody Glass is playing right now, he doesn't make this roster better. And I, I hate saying that because I like the kid and I'm rooting for him. But at the same time, it, it's 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 kind of like an Ellie Tolvanen situation. You have a guy that's talented who's just not in the lineup. And at some point, you, you have to do something because you can't get, just keep letting him sit on the bench. So I would hate to see them give up on Cody Glass. But you wonder if, if at some point they tried to, they just put him on waivers, see if anyone takes him. If not, he could use some more seasoning in Milwaukee. He could use some regular playing time and stuff like that. But I do think figuring out who the two center is, does Glass have a have a future on this roster beyond just this year? I think that is something that they do need to address. And they need to, they need to probably know that by the end of the year. Yeah, I don't know if I'd put him on waivers just because, again, PTSD from Ellie Tolvanen. But I think I would agree that I think, you know, maybe whether it's at the trade deadline this year, maybe if it's after the draft, maybe you start kind of shopping him around and see if any any teams are interested in him. I mean, for someone who has the potential to be a number two center, he comes at a very good price point right now. You know, if he lands in the right spot where he can get the playing time, he can get the minutes. I think, again, I hate it too. Cody Glass is one of my favorite, not just players. I mean, he's genuinely one of my favorite people in the world. And I think he has brought a lot to this team in this locker room. I do think that, like you said, he's not making this team better right now. I don't think that he is single-handedly bringing them down by any any stretch, but I, I think he's not really making the team better. I also think, though, that you know, the only way for him to get better and to kind of get in that groove, you talked about how he stepped up last year when Johansson got injured and he really kind of showed us those flashes. Well, why was he able to be so good last year? Because he had the minutes and he's not getting the minutes right now. And I think for a guy who's young, who has a history of kind of beating himself mentally, I think you you keep sitting him that's not going to be good for the team or for him. And so I think that I know that he's been a bit of a liability uh, the last few times he's been out, but I think it's because it's been so sporadic and, and not very, not very consistent with the actual minutes that he gets. I think before you can make a decision on whether he's part of this team's future or not, I think you need to give him more minutes. And I know that that, Comes with a certain risk, but I mean, no risk, you know, no reward. So I just, I think that, you know, I would like to see him in the lineup a little bit more consistently before we make a, a real decision on whether he's part of the team's future. I mean, what have we talked about already today on the show? Acquire data, learn what you have so that you know what you have for next year. I don't know if you can do that with him sitting on the bench. I, I tend to agree with that. It doesn't mean that's going to help you win in the short term. It might help you win in the long term, though. M whether or not you figure out whether he is a part or not a part of, of the team. 
I mean, last year was clearly a massive step forward for Cody Glass, just well, by all by all accounts. And this year, it's about a step back. That's it. Like unfair or fair, that's just the reality. Well, also last year was such a big step forward because the poor kid, it has you know, in his very young career, he's that was the first time that he hasn't been injured. <laughs> like all season was last year. I mean, he's only twenty four years old. And he finally was able to get some consistency because he wasn't injured, not saying the injuries are his fault by any means. But this year, obviously, he had a setback with the injuries at the beginning of the year. And I think you need to. Yeah, I think you just need to give him a little bit of a longer leash just to see, like you said, gather the data, figure out what he's capable of. And and I think that you'll have a better idea of of what he can do and what he brings to the team, if anything, in the future. And also last year, too, he was skating with Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne, and he was playing with these these really good scores that really kind of pushed him. If you're going to be on a top line with Matt Duchesne and Philip Forsberg, like you better damn well produce. You're not going to be on that line for long. I think that forced him to raise his game this year. No knock against Cole Smith or Yuso Parson or Evangelista or any of the bottom six guys, but he's been in a bottom six role. He hasn't really been in a position where he has to elevate his game to match the talent of the guys on his line. It's been more so like, we're going to put you out there on the fourth line and you go produce or you're going to be benched next game. Like Cody Glass's problem is nothing to do with his talent. It's all between the ears. It's all what, what goes on. Confidence is a big thing with him. And Clay even pointed this, pointed this out. He didn't really get a lot of support in Vegas. They drafted him really high. They expected him to be like this franchise changing center. And when it didn't happen after like 20 or 30 games, they were like, okay, well, we're just going to get rid of you because we're in win now mode and you're of no use to us. I think he needs to be put out there in a, in a better role than being put that put on the fourth line and playing 10 minutes. Like Emma said, he needs the minutes. You're not going to be able to know what you have in him if you don't put him out there and play. And I think that's something that, because I feel like every time he's in the lineup, if he doesn't score a goal, that's all. And the media were guilty of this too. That's all anyone wants to talk about is like, well, Cody Glass didn't have a goal. And then Andrew Bernard has to talk about him. And then the next game you see, he's not out there probably because he doesn't want to answer any more questions about why Cody Glass isn't producing. So it's just, it's a tough situation. If you know anything about Cody Glass or if you just followed him throughout his career, like he's, he's a hard guy not to root for. You just hope, you hope he figures it out and the Predators give him a chance to figure it out. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And Along the lines of acquiring data, you got a bunch of young pieces that could be a part of this answer down in Milwaukee, and we've already seen a couple of them on defense. Delgado and Stasny have been up. They they performed, I would say, admirably in those situations, considering their pedigree is not like elite number one defensive pr prospect in in the NHL or whatever. This is not an, a a Skaroff level prospect where they're the you know the guys that are the number one or whatever. Um, and then you got a couple of forwards that could get some time. Um, Michael, you you. This is this is your wheelhouse here. So what guys do you want to see and what are the factors like entry level contracts, for example, that need to be considered when at saying, hey, uh, Andrew Burnett, let's see some of these young guys that are playing well in Milwaukee. Yeah, I think the only the only one you really have to to worry about uh, as far as burning years off their ELC would be Kemmel. Uh, he is Clay points this out in his story. He is eligible for uh, a sliding contract to where if he plays fewer than 10 games in the NHL, they can basically add a year onto his ELC. So if you call Kimmel up, he plays in 11 games, you burn a year off of his ELC, which isn't terrible in the scheme of things. But if you can, if you can get one extra year out of him for, for a very cheap price, it, it would behoove you to do that. But I think the other guys that, you know, we talked about Stastny and Elgaizo before, I think they've proven that I, I think Stastny is NHL ready right now. I think Elgaizo is not far off. They both have proven that they can hold their own in the NHL. 
Um, I do think Stastny is someone you can put him in the lineup right now and he would be in the lineup for the rest of the year. Like I think he's, I think he's someone who's dependable. Uh, he's got a little bit of offensive upside. He's really good at being in the right place at the right time. And he just, sh- he's shown that he's not a liability out there. Um, I think Delgado is someone who you could put him out there and he could hold his own. I just don't know if he's quite there yet, but I do think that, you know, beginning of the season next year, he's someone who could have a full-time roster spot. And then you look at some of the other guys, um, Kemel, Svechkov, Afanasiev, like these are your leading scorers. Denis Gurianov is already up here. He's their second leading scorer. Afanasiev, 16 goals, 28 points. LaRue, 8 goals, 23 points. Svechkov, 11 goals, 22 points. Kemel, 9 goals, 22 points. Like they're putting up points and they're producing. And I, I, I don't think, I mean, yeah, you call up Svechkov. He's probably only going to be up here for a couple games. I think the same thing with Kemel. I don't think either of those guys are NHL ready right now. Uh, if you want to call him up, give him a, a few games like Barry Trotz alluded to. I think that's a good idea. Um, I think Afanasiev is the one guy on Milwaukee's roster forward wise that is ready for a full time NHL role right now. The problem is you you have some guys like Cole Smith and Michael McCarron and Gurionov now that there's not really any room for him. So unless there's an injury, you're probably not going to see Afanasiev called up or if the if the offense stays stale and Trotz tries to shake things up or whatever. But I do think Afanasiev is is someone who I think is is ready to be a full time player in the NHL right now. Um, I he's a power forward. He fits the the bottom six mentality really well. He can score you goals. He can be a big physical presence. Um, but yeah, I think those I think those are really the five guys: uh, Svechkov, Afanasiev, Kemel, Stassi, Nilgaizo that are really either NHL ready or close to it that you could probably see between now and the end of the year. But if you want burgers and fries, go to Jasper's. Uh, just to make sure that's the the place we're getting burgers and fries, uh, not from from either of those five guys. Um, here's the here's the question uh, about Igor Afanasiev. Uh, Emma, find someone that loves you as much as Michael loves Igor Afanasiev. Just uh, just find that's someone. That's my goal. That's my goal in life. Honestly, <laughs> at this point. Not to get too deep, but I would love to find that. <laughs> hey, we we, we have you, a special bond you. because when he was drafted, I was out there beating the Igor Afanasiev drum because I watched him in his very first development camp, and he was he was miles better than any other prospect they had there. And they just drafted this kid two weeks before, and he was outperforming prospects that have been in the system for two or three years. And he's one of the guys, if you tweet about him, he will like your tweets. And I was doing that and he <laughs> came up to me in the locker room and he was like, Hey man, like, I, I just appreciate like all the nice things you've been saying about me. And I'm like, you're, you're schooling everybody here. Like I, I have no choice, but to talk about how great you are, because like, <laughs> did you see the goal you just scored earlier? So he's well, just one of those really just naturally good guys. And, and like, he, he would be your friend if you, if you, like, if I wasn't covering him in a professional capacity, me and Igor would be friends. We'd be going to the to the bar to get beers. Does it does it for the likes, Emma? He's doing it for the likes. <laughs> he's a he's a very sweet kid, and I'll he agree is. with what you said earlier about he's never in a bad mood. I mean, he's all he's very personable, uh, very polite, and just you know he's a good guy. He's a happy guy. I think you talk about his uh, his doing it for the likes he may or may not have gotten in a little bit of hot water with the predators organization last year when uh (laughs) he got called up to play against the la kings and uh i don't think it was officially public knowledge yet and he may have uh, jumped the gun on that one on on social (laughs) media so you know maybe yeah I, i mean i get it excited maybe a little bit misdirected excitement but you know that it's it's all good no i i agree i think he could really do some damage uh if if he was brought up right now i think 
defensively, I would agree. I think Stastny is NHL ready. I think he's one of the most impressive skaters I've ever seen. This is going to sound creepy and I don't know how to say it without sounding creepy, but like if you just watch his hips when he skates, like they move like they're independent from his body. It's kind of <laughs> insane. And I mean, I think that that kind of makes him a threat. I mean, he's a threat for a lot of reasons, but I think that makes him very evasive. It makes him really fun to watch. So that's my weird comment about Spencer Stastny's hips. Delgaizo, I think, is a guy that, like you said, maybe not ready for a full-time role right now, but he is a guy that if you put him out there, he will work his ass off. And he, he, you know, is one of the hardest working kids that I've ever seen, that I've ever covered. And so I think that if you are in a position where you think effort is lacking on the defense, I think he would be a good guy to to come up and and really kind of get himself fired up, but maybe fire up everyone else. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree on the other two guys too, Svechkov and Kemmel. I don't know. I don't know that they really bring a ton of value long-term if you call them up right now. Uh, both of them, both being in their first full season in the AHL. I don't really know that, you know, I, I think it would be more beneficial both for the organization and for the players. If you let them stay, let them stay, marinate, develop in Milwaukee uh longer and and then kind of see what happens maybe with like I don't know nine games to go Joachim Kemmel gets called up and plays the last nine games of the season and it depends where the Preds are in the playoff standings at that point too if they're nine games out of the standings then maybe not but you know if they're if they're firmly in a playoff spot sure why not oh I look at it the other way it's like if they're totally out of it (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I've got free 60 minutes here. I've got 10 games I can play him and not use up a year of his contract. I want him to play nine games in the NHL. Well, that's like not, fair. I guess maybe if they're, saying? yeah, maybe if they're like two games out of it, like if there's still a chance, then maybe then you, you don't call him up. Exactly. That's, that's where I would be like, look, if you're fighting for a playoff spot, you're not trying to develop a, a, a guy in his first AHL season. But if you're no. out of it and you've got a free couple of games to burn and not hurt his contract, I don't know. That, that seems like a good learning experience for a player of his caliber. Because he is part of your future, he he has to be part of your future, uh, long term. Okay, so that's unless what, you're still unless you're still in it, and half the teams on IR like last year, then you, <laughs> then you know what, Luke Evangelista is probably going to get twenty something games. So yeah, and it's okay. I you know what what you what you call him Vange um, uh, last week. I was no, I was shamed for that, so well, I way, went back to calling him Luke and or Pretty Boy Vincenzo. Pretty Boy Vincenzo was sort of my Igor Afanasiev at the beginning of the season, so. Everybody has one. It's okay. We can all find a player that we just really enjoy watching how they play. And uh, mine was 77. So uh, it was what it was. I, you know, things have cooled a little bit between us, but uh, he's, he got up, he got a power play goal the other day. So uh, maybe, maybe, maybe things are back on. We'll see. You, you uh, can't stay in the honeymoon phase forever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, okay. So that's what, uh, of course, Nashville hockey now is cooking up. Go to Jasper's, of course, over there on West End. Emma, what are you cooking up uh, with the hockey writers? Well, it's not writing per se, but we're actually working on building up the Predators uh, paid subscription site as part of the Hockey Writers. So having some kind of exclusive content in there for paid subscribers. And one of those things that we've actually just started this week is doing a weekly kind of video series, sort of recapping the week before, looking ahead, kind of just covering major storylines. We'll get more into 
trade deadline rumors and things like that when we get closer. So that'll be something to to check out. You can go to thehockeywriters.com, find the Predators and subscribe, and uh, we'll have some good exclusive content there. There you go. Uh, and of course, Nashville Hockey Now as well. So both both websites, <laughs> if you're a Predators fan, exactly, Minka, uh, both Predators fans. We were so close, so <laughs> no, close no, to her not making a, a noise. It's going to be a thing on the show now. Uh, <laughs> the over-under Mink- on when Minka joins the pod. <laughs> Minka's moment. I'll just make it a segment on go. the show. Brought to you by Jaspers over on West End. <laughs> uh, Nashville Hockey Now subscription. The Hockey Writers subscription. Go support good folks like Emma and Michael that are doing work to cover the Nashville Predators each and every day. So make sure you go support them. Uh, okay, uh, quickly here. Amazon has purchased all 37 regional sports networks. Those are the RSNs you always hear. Bally Sports. The Grizzlies and the Predators, of course, are a part of that. I think, Michael, you said there's 12-ish in the NHL. The question is, it's probably going to be an add-on for those of you who are already Amazon subscribers, which I am. A, I don't know. I mean, I'm a parent, so of course I have to be. Um, but as an Amazon subscriber, uh, it, it, I assume it's not going to be for free. They might give it to you for free to start and then hook you that way and then say, look, uh, here's maybe 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 15 bucks." I'm curious what the fan would pay. If you're a cord cutter and you already have Amazon and you're already paying the whatever, the nine or 10 bucks a month, like what's the number? Because Bally Sports tried to pay charge like $26.99, I want to say it was. And you got like the Atlanta Hawks and like the WNBA team and the Grizzlies and the Predators. And I don't like it clearly didn't work. It's why they went bankrupt. I'm just curious what folks would pay for Predators games. Because if you think about it, you're paying, I don't know, buy, you're getting like if it's 10 bucks, 15 bucks, you're paying like a dollar a game per month, $2 a game per month at most. Like it's not a lot of money. Yeah. If if you were foolish enough to pay for Bally sports plus, like you're going to pay whatever Amazon tells you to pay. That's just rule. Number one, I I can't see. So I think prime video is like 10 bucks a month. I can't see them charging more than what they're charging for all of prime video. It's probably like you said, probably going to be like four 99, five bucks somewhere in there. And it's going to be an add on. And I think that, and you're going to be able to stream. I, I think if what I read from the Yahoo Sports correct or Sports Yahoo Sports report is correct, um, you're going to be able to stream pretty much all the games on, on Prime. So if if you get access to all games, there's no blackouts. Like just just hearing no blackouts, that's going to bring yeah. so many people in. Like I will finally have a way where I can watch road games and not just have to listen to Pete uh, on the radio call the games and stuff, which is great for me. And if, if you're a a reporter that does not travel with a team and you have to be creative in trying to cover the team from the road. This is, this is great. I will gladly pay five, 10, 15 bucks a month for it. So I can watch and stream some of the games that I don't normally get to go to. Yeah, I think plus if it's Amazon, right? So, you know, it's going to be a better product. Not that that's yeah. really saying much uh, coming from the, the Bally product. Uh, and by product, I mean the, the streaming service itself, not, saying anything about the talent or the production it's the technology the technology bandwidth that amazon has yes so it's gonna be a better i mean the nfl has games on amazon prime like that's you know if they're gonna do it then you know it's gonna be better if if it moves to amazon they're the only ones i mean other than apple and mls these services have all kind of dabbled in this this is a big play for amazon and amazon's the only one that's really got a live sports package Again, every Thursday night, and the numbers for that broadcast are very, very good. But it's the NFL, so we'll see. Um, I, the other thing was there was there was a hint that ESPN would delete all of the games after 30 days, and I guess people just threw a fit on Twitter and got them to change their policy. Good for them. Good for good for Twitter. Occasionally, 
Uh, occasionally, Twitter is good for something, apparently. Yeah. Very occasionally. Extremely Just ask Greg occasionally. <laughs> uh, I wonder how many Preds fans get that. Get that joke. I'm curious. So either way, stay tuned. We'll get some more information about how. Um, and I've done some. I've reached out to some folks who work nationally on the sports business side of things, trying to find some information about what this could look like moving forward. Because um, there is one exact strategy to watching Predators games in the market if you do not have cable. And uh, I'm not going to encourage that strategy on this podcast by explaining it. <laughs> But you there could. Is, there's one very clear way that works. <laughs> you could also pay for a Sportsnet subscription, but I think it's like 20 bucks a month. And, and if you're just doing it for Preds games, that might be a little pricey. I know some people that do that because, as you know, Sportsnet has everything NHL related that you can stream and stuff. And, and it might be worth it if you're watching other teams, too. But if you're doing it just for Preds, it might not be worth it. But that is another avenue that is not of questionable variety. <laughs> there you go uh, okay so check out nashville hockey now subscription there of course the hockey writers check that out uh emma and michael always a pleasure hanging out with you guys go to jaspers of course everybody games on thursday at la at arizona on saturday and of course florida on monday so if you can get out and about jaspers is a place to go watch those games maybe by monday we're thought out but the seven and five degrees on Saturday and Sunday, uh, I don't know. We'll see. So stay stay warm out there. Stay safe out there. Everybody be careful. We do appreciate you guys listening. Uh, always a pleasure to hang out with you too. So for Michael and Emma, I am Braden. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you guys next week.